0: if you want to take communion we use these little cups here and if you didn't get a communion cup if you would raise your hand uh, I know one of the deaconesses would bring one to you anybody like that need one okay thanks Marlene appreciate that okay good I Want you to be able to party oh is she getting stuff for people huh what what did I say oh oh <laughs> thank you for drawing attention to yourself <laughs> and how old did you say you were not just kidding. all right thank you Marlene for helping us uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 6 Matthew 6 1 to 6 you have your Bibles with you many years ago uh, in our very own community I was inviting a person to come to our church and uh, just see what it's like and maybe uh, if they would want to worship here with us. And after talking with them for a long time, um, I could tell they were hesitant about coming to our church. And I asked them, I said, uh, just tell me what would be so wrong with coming and visiting and just seeing our church? He said, well, I'll tell you, preacher, what's wrong with your church. He said, that church out there is filled with hypocrites. And uh, the only thing I could think of to tell him was, why do you think one more is going to make a difference? <laughs> there is not a person alive that is not guilty of hypocrisy in some way or another, that where we have been disingenuous with other people, where we haven't portrayed ourselves for what we really are. And so we want to talk about that today because we know that's wrong. We know we want to be genuine before God. And so that's what I want to talk about because that's what the text is about this morning. You know, believers have, and I speak to myself, by the way, I'm a believer too, so this goes for me. Believers have an unsettling ability to practice Christianity while at the same time completely ignoring God. We have an ability to practice Christianity and yet ignore God and what God wants. Sometimes we admit that our demonstrations of religious piety, religious holiness, are more for our fellow believers and for them to see than they are for God. We sometimes pray to impress people. Sometimes we sing to bring the house down and let everybody know we're there. We give to demonstrate our generosity and hope other people know it. We speak up at Bible studies, uh, sometimes just to remind others of our deep theological insight and knowledge. We have the ability to smile on the outside at other people while inwardly we may be angry with them or angry with God. Yes, we say uh, yes to ministry, uh, but we sometimes have no intention of doing what we said we would do. We get into the word of God maybe every night, but we lose our place because we simply cannot stay awake or we dissociate from the text and start thinking about other things. We are our best at volunteer work when people are watching, but not so great when we are all alone with a task where no one is watching. We desire position in the church based on the perceived prestige that it brings. We preach or teach that which is popular instead of God's truth. And doing these things uh, like these means that I'm a hypocrite in some way or another because I care more about what people are impressed with than I do about walking with God in the quietness of a heart that is pure before him and does things out of love for him. Uh, I care about what God's evaluation of me is going to be, and I'm saying that for you too. I know you care as well. We care about what God's evaluation is going to be of us uh, when we get before him on that day of our judgment. Well, I want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Uh, I have quite a few comments on verse 1, so let me just uh, read that. Jesus Christ is still in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount, and he is teaching us and preaching to us. And he says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. I like the fact that he said righteousness instead of your religion. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. You see, it's not what we're doing that's wrong, it's how we're doing it. And why we're doing it that makes it wrong. But we should be doing righteous things. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. To be noticed by them. So here's our motive. Did I do what I just did so I can be noticed by the people around me, my brothers and sisters, and so that they can really think well of me because I uh, you know, said such a great prayer, I did such a great thing? Is that why I'm doing this? Uh, That's the issue that he brings up. So I can be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now, what that teaches me is that God wants to reward us. God wants to reward you. And he's going to reward you for the things that you do out of righteousness for him because the Bible tells you to. So what's at stake here is you and I doing things in the wrong way with the wrong motive and we lose our reward with God. And I want you to understand that in the Bible, our reward is a big deal. In fact, Paul commands us through Jesus Christ to work for those rewards. And we'll say more about that in just a minute. So verse 1, if you're following along in your bulletin uh, to fill out your outline point, we must take care because if we perform our righteousness for men, we will lose our rewards from Jesus. And that's a, that's a, that's a done deal when that happens. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I practice my righteousness the way that I practice it? That's the issue. Now, not all ministry can take place in private. Uh, there's no way you can preach to a crowd of people in private, although I guess we did it during COVID, right? <laughs> you were at home, and I pre- preached to three, four people, uh, but it's not, the, it's not the thing I want to do. Your ministry is often going to be public. You can't serve in Awana in private. You can't serve in, as a Sunday school teacher and not be there It's a public thing. Sometimes ministry can take place in private, but it often takes place in public. But we're talking about those things that you do both in private and public. There is a place for public worship, public preaching, public singing, and prayer. Our true motive in those times is what really counts and how we're doing it. That's what Jesus is talking about. So this is about how we practice our righteousness in our religion of Jesus Christ in some very down-to-earth ways, all right? Ways that we can understand we we know what he's talking about. The temptation in religious practice, let me call it that, or spiritual disciplines, which means our prayer life, our devotional life, you know, our life of uh, purity and the things we do to advance our spiritual maturity. So the temptation in religious practice or spiritual discipline In other words, reading your Bible more than anybody else, reading your Bible so everybody knows you're reading your Bible, uh, that would be wrong. But in those areas, our goal is to practice impressing God with the sincerity of our heart and not impressing other people with our so-called spirituality. It is to worry more about what others in the Bible study think of my prayer than if I am really communicating in my heart to God. It may be to sort of slip up and in a group of Christians accidentally, and I'm saying that facetiously, release information about how much I contributed to a certain charity. Oh, I didn't mean to tell people I gave that much. I'm sorry, just forget I said that. Well, no, that's, that's probably not gonna be taken that way. If my goal is to gain the recognition or admiration of other people by what I am doing, then I get it done then I have received what I desired. Jesus is this saying to us, if you do something so you can be noticed by people, if you do something to impress people with your spirituality and they're impressed or they see you do it, Jesus said no further recognition will be given by God. Do you get that? When we get to our judgment before God and he's not judging us for our salvation because if we've trusted Christ as our personal savior, that's a done deal. Your name's written in the book of life. He's not going to judge you for that because you already took care of it. But what about those things that were good works that we did in his name? Those are all going to be judged. And God's going to look at every one of those. And he's going to test the motive of our heart. Why did you do that? And uh, did you do that for my glory or did you do it for your glory, for for recognition of men or recognition of God? And God says, you know what? You got your reward for what you did because you did it for people. People saw you. They talked about how great you were, and that's a dumb deal. God will not be recognizing that in heaven. Jesus teaches plainly here that if my goal is to be noticed of men, all right, men and women, in the church or outside the church, and they notice, or they, they uh, evaluate it, or they reward me, then I have just been given a human reward. A human reward is a temporal reward. A heavenly reward reward is, is a forever reward, which would you rather have? And if you do it this, uh, you're going to get none if we do it for people. However, uh, we will be forthcoming uh, from God, and will, he will know the truth of our heart, and he's going to reward us for that, which we did with a good motive. He's going to not reward us for that, which we already got a reward for. People noticed us. It's like making sure that that $100 bill, now we don't have an offering plate that we pass anymore. We have a box in the foyer you can give in. But you remember what it was like to pass the offering plate. We might go back to that just to you know keep you in practice. But what is it like if you know you know there's a lot of people in your row and you get the offering plate? And you take out that nice crisp $100 bill and you lay it across the top of the offering plate, hand it down the row proudly, and everybody's going, wow, somebody dropped a Franklin in here. How in the world did they get away with that? That's fantastic. Who did that? Was that Bob down there that did that? Uh, You lay it open on the top of the giving plate so that everybody else can look in. People want to know who did that. Wow, it must be him. It must be her. And you get your recognition. God says, that's a done deal. They notice end of transaction end of transaction but if you do it without wanting to be seen all right without being noticed and you give it out of your heart and nobody notices that hey that's a franklin in there then the transaction is not over it won't be taken care of until you're rewarded by god in heaven it won't be brought up in heaven if you got your reward here because you already got what you wanted And sadly, it's a temporal reward. It's going to be something that disappears when this world disappears. I did it to be glorified by people is the issue. And a human's reward I will receive. A reward that is temporal, will not count for eternity. And I need to ask myself the question, was it worth that? And the answer is no, it's not worth that. Uh, Now you'll notice in your bulletin we have a text to go to to look at uh, Luke 12, 33 and 34. Luke 12, 33 and 34 speaks to this. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what we learn here is that if I'm doing things to impress people, my heart is on the things of this world. If I do things that uh, I want God to see, my heart is on the things of God. And God is telling us, don't work for the things that are going to be gone temporary in this temporary world. Work for the things that are going to last for eternity. Those are things done in the right way uh, with the right motive. And so that's our goal. Can you imagine if in America, the Actors Guild didn't care about impressing people? Uh, That's their whole life. And they want to make people impressed with them and happy with them. So they do things they probably shouldn't do or really shouldn't do and, and show us things they shouldn't show us because they don't really care what God thinks. They care what people think. And although we're not a part of the Actors Guild, we can be if we're being hypocrites. Would they do things differently if pleasing God was really their motive? Yes, they would. Would I do something differently if pleasing God was really my motive? I'd like to think I would. No reward with your heavenly father is what the text says. Jesus taught this in his sermon. You will have no reward with your heavenly father in heaven. There's nothing worse than showing up to an award ceremony and you get nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, my first year of contact football was when I was in elementary school. We had uh, the, the JCs put on uh, a kids full, full contact football thing in Denver. And I used to think we were pretty fast, and then I saw a moving picture of us once. I thought, "Good night, we're barely moving out there, you know." But we thought we were pretty tough. And uh, I, I would, I would go out there and I would play hard, you know. But we were the, we were the bees. That was our, our, uh, that was our fear-inducing uh, guy that we went by. The bees. We were the JCBs. And uh, we lost every game that season, every single game. Went to the award ceremony, and they called us up on stage to give us an award, a ribbon. And it never dawned on me that that ribbon was for participation and being good sports because we're such big losers. I remember wanting to cry when they handed me that ribbon. Oh, this is fantastic. I didn't know we did so well. Well, we didn't do so well. And uh, after I figured out what it was for, I thought, well, how shameful that they had to give us an award to try to get us to come back next year so people could beat up on us again. If you go to an award ceremony, which is what your judgment will be if you do things the way God wants you to be, you don't leave with a participation trophy. You leave with real reward. Now, I know that in Christianity, there are some people who think they are so pious and so holy and so godly that they will actually say to you, you know, I don't care for rewards. I don't, I don't serve God for rewards. I do it out of my love for God. You know, he, he can keep the rewards. I don't have any desire to do that and so uh, they're just loving Jesus. Let me say this about that, no they're not. How do I know? Because they are in disobedience to Jesus who has commanded us to work and do good works in his name as Christians and commanded us to work for the prize. Paul said, I am running for the prize and I don't wanna be disqualified. The Bible told us to do that, so in your piety you need to maybe understand, uh, you do need to understand that God is not interested in that He's interested in you doing what he told you and I to do. And so uh, we need to take that into account. Now in verses 2 to 4, so Jesus says, so here's how we put this into place. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. That's his end of, end of transaction statement. But differently... When you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that's pretty secret giving. So that your giving will be in secret and your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So we learn here that charitable giving in secret is seen openly by the Father in heaven. In other words, he remembers it. He rewards it when, when, he, when he sees it. So in verse 2, Jesus' is the first example is about uh, us giving to support the poor. Don't make a big deal out of your giving, Jesus is saying. There are lots of guesses as to what Jesus meant by sounding the trumpet call uh, and calling attention to your giving. Archeologists have discovered that outside the temple, when you went into the temple, they had these boxes for offering, bigger than the one we have. I mean, they would stand up. They also had a funnel on the top so that it made sure everything that you dropped in there, coins and things and shekels, it all went right down into the offering box. Okay, now we don't have one of those on ours. But they think that what happened was people would come up, they would take their bag of coins and they'd undo it, everybody looking and pour it in that trumpet thing and it just makes all kinds of noise. It sounds the trumpet. Oh look, so and so is giving so much money. Look at all the shekels that he put in. You know, that is wonderful. What, what a godly guy. And so they sounded the trumpet. That's probably, it could be what exactly happened. I think that uh, that's very likely. It, it'd be like us de- today saying, you know, don't toot your own horn. My dad used to put it this way. He said to me, he said, look, if you're good, you don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> if you're telling everybody, you're not that good. So I kept that in mind, all right? Uh, I want you to look at Mark twelve forty one. And what I want you to see here. Uh, is a couple of things. One is that we're talking about what gets God's attention for you in how you do your works. What gets God's attention? And here we have a scene where God is sitting among people and somebody gets his attention. Jesus is God, right? And he's sitting there watching people give money at the temple and somebody gets God's attention. It says this in verse 41, Mark 12. And he sat down opposite the treasury. That's the places where these boxes were outside the temple where people gave their their tithe and offering. And he began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. He certainly wasn't talking about amount, was he? No, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. Now, obviously, there's a woman who believes God will take care of her. That's all she had left. Yeah, it wouldn't buy much, but it's all she had left, and she gave it to God, and it got God's attention. Why? Not because of the amount. Did you hear that? Now, that doesn't mean you can go home and say, all right, from now on, let's start giving a penny every week. You know, that, I don't think that's the idea here, all right? What I think he's saying is they're giving out of their surplus. They're making a big deal out of it. They're sounding the trumpets on the offering plate thing there that we have. And this little gal came and out of the kindness of her heart gave God everything that she had. And it got God's attention because her motive was right. Hypocrites involve themselves in charitable giving in order to bring honor to themselves. Their act is designed to achieve the glory of men and enhancements of their reputation. In terms of true religion, they are merely pretenders. They are just actors, like the hypocrites of Jesus' day in the theater. Uh, What you see on the outside is not what's really on the inside. They gave to be seen of men. And they were seen by men, and God says, you need to know. That's the end of the transaction. There will be no reward in heaven for what you did there. You already got it. So I thought how quick we are to trade the now for the then and the eternal for the earthly. And that's what we're really doing here, even in something as simple as giving to the Lord's work. In verse 3, When you give to charitable organizations, Jesus said, be very quiet about it. This is a figure of speech that we call hyperbolic language, and it overstates the truth to make a point. When he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I've never, you know, I've been to church uh, a lot of times in my life. I never saw anybody trying to do that, you know, uh, just keep their wallet on one side, stick their hand in the pocket, get the wallet out, try to fumble around, get something to throw in the offering. So the left hand doesn't know that that's not what Jesus meant, right? We got that. We we need to do it in secret. So let's look at a couple of places where where we'll be helped with that. And one is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, if you want to look there with me. Galatians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Now we're just trying to see what Jesus meant by that. And here's one, one place that will help us. Jesus said, whatever you do, so even giving money to charitable organizations or the church, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So I first do it with the motivation that I'm doing this for God, and it's about God. It's not about me. It's not about what I can impress other people with. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait for the Lord, who com- the Lord's coming, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. In other words, God is going to weigh your motives for what you did. Whatever you did, whatever righteous work you did, God is going to weigh your motives for that. And if it was the wrong motive, eh, you got your reward. It's a done deal. You didn't do it right and you got what you, what you asked for, a, a temporal value and a reward. By the way, that participation, good sport thing I got as a JCB, I threw it away when I got home. It wasn't worth whatever the cloth was it was printed on. And I learned a good lesson from that. Uh, I, I need to go for a better reward, maybe try harder next year with my team. God knows my motive. God discloses the motive of the heart while we practice our piety. You know what that means? That means sometimes people set out to do something really good and something very righteous and they mess it all up and yet their motive was right in what they did and they were doing it for God even though it messed up and God's going to say to them on that day, by the way, I have a reward for you here for that. He said, well, Lord, it, it didn't turn out well. He said, you know, that's not why you did it. You did it to turn out well. Your motive was right. I want you to see how important the motivation is when we get before God. Our motive is giving, in giving is the key component of what we have to watch out for here in our hearts. Now, we're just talking about giving right now. We could be talking about any other area where there could be some hypocrisy. Then verse 4, so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret. And by the way, he never misses anything that you did in secret. Maybe you did something and nobody else was around. You did a good deed. Maybe you picked up a banana peel in the middle of the hallway that nobody else would touch so somebody doesn't get hurt and nobody sees it. It's not on the school camera and God sees it. And God rewards you for what you did. The purpose is so our giving is not like that of the hypocrites but rather as a true follower of God. Those who give with a pure motive will receive a reward or a recompense for their work from God. Can you imagine a guy that uh, is on this earth, and he says, oh, the hospital needs some money. So he writes out a check for $20,000 and donates it to the hospital. Yeah, good deed, good work, that was great. And then he's always been a little bit perturbed that all he got was a little plaque engraved, and it wasn't as big as he wanted it, just a little plaque, and it's on this plaque with all these other people. And he said, I gave you $20,000, I deserve more than that. And he's standing before God on his judgment day. He says, hey, God, I, I noticed you didn't mention something here for me. Uh, I gave 20000 to the hospital fund. All I got was a little plaque. I'm thinking there ought to be more for that. What do you want to give me for that? And God's going to say, nothing. You got your reward. <laughs> they offered you the plaque. That's what you had in your heart when you gave it, and that's what you got. It's a done deal. You say, ouch, that's, that's a $20,000 lesson I wish I had learned uh, beforehand, before I got to this point. Dr. Blomberg said this, Jesus was simply explaining that the motive for charity must not be the desire for praise from other people. And that's all he wants us to know. Now we know it. Verses five and six. We learned that no matter where it occurs, prayer should be a genuine conversation with God. When you pray, verse five, you're not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand, other places he just says Pharisees, like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, that's in the, their their, uh, their church service, in, Ju- in the Judaism uh, that they practice, and on the street corners, so that, so here's the reason or the purpose they were praying there, they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is being done in secret will reward you. Now, notice what he's uh, juxtaposing here. Outside ministry, in the synagogue ministry, a real public thing, he said, uh, do what you need to do in your closet. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying that if I go home and I don't pray in my closet, I'm not as spiritual as other people who do pray in their closet. That's not the point. The point is why I pray and how I pray. And he's trying to get us to see that with this illustration. The purpose of prayer is not to achieve praise and acclaim from people. Have you ever heard somebody pray in a public place and say, wow, I wish I could pray like that. Or wow, every time they pray, this just sounds so holy. I can't do that. This is the second illustration Jesus gives us of how hypocrites pray. And there in the synagogues, here we can say in the church, at home, or in restaurants. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, apparently because they have a bigger audience there. Dr. Hendricks told us, I may have shared this in another place, but Dr. Hendricks told us about a man on their street, and he lived in Dallas, and they had a street where the men would get together and have a Bible study. And so it came Bible study day. Dr. Hendricks had been working on a guy, I'll call him Mark, down the street, and got him to come to the Bible, so he also got to lead him to Christ. And so he comes to his very first bible study in his whole life he'd never been with anybody that had a bible around anyway and so he comes in he sits down and they do their bible study he never contributes and then it comes time to pray and so mark is sitting there he's listened to all these prayers and uh dr hendricks encouraged him go ahead and pray so i don't know what to say so i can't pray like these guys he said it's okay just pray god knows and he said he starts out and he said god this is mark I live just up the street here. And he said, I thought he was gonna give God his address. He'd never heard people pray except for today, didn't know what to say. And he said that was the most profound prayer I'd heard in months. The other people in the Bible study, they they were perusing the Western Hemisphere and its missionaries and great theological enterprises and theological topics. And Mark just wanted God to know, hey, I'm here, I trust you, and I want to live for you. And that should impress us so that we get to the place where we do the same thing. There is a difference between mature prayer and show-off prayer. There is a difference between humility and false humility. And I grew up around both. If you grew up in the church, so did you. Um, Dr. Hendricks made this observation as well about prayer. I believe it to be true. He said if someone in the church prays long, lengthy prayers in public, you can rest assured it is because they have no private prayer life. And that is something we don't want to have happen to us. Jesus in verse six illustrates the attitude of prayer. It is an act of worship, and men have nothing uh, to do with that, except to pray along and it's between me and Jesus. It is not a show to impress others with my hypocrisy. If when I prayed and it was just me and Jesus in the room, well, how would I talk to him then? Would my prayer be different? If you take away my audience and those who sit in judgment on my spirituality, or at least I might think that they do, based on how I pray, what then would I sound like? If Jesus were standing here in the room in the flesh, what would that do to impact what I'm going to say to him in prayer? See, nothing you and I can do for God out of a sincere heart for him will ever escape his notice. And we've been talking about the negative side, but what about that? What about the fact that you know that if I do it sincerely for my heart, God will never miss it, and he will reward us for it. And he told us he wants to give us reward. Uh, Could you be happy just uh, settling in your heart for God's approval with your spirituality? Could I? Um, I remember when I was just a little bitty boy. I don't know how old I was, but I was little. And I remember we're at my mom's mom and dad. So my grandpa and grandma, Agus, Frank and Grace Agus. And we were there for some kind of a family meal. It might have been Easter or something. It was a big, big family meal on Easter There a lot of people around the table and i'm just this little guy sitting at the end didn't even have a booster chair i remember the table's right about here and my grandpa said greg would you like to pray i thought wow are you kidding me i mean we've got some we've got some spiritual giants around the table i'm thinking wow these people all know how to pray now i get a chance to pray so i bow my head and i thought this has to be good and I need to sound spiritual and sincere, whatever words I use as a little boy for that. And what came out of my mouth was, dear God. <laughs> and then everybody at the table burst out laughing. And I got upset because I was embarrassed and I started to cry a little bit. And they were saying, no, oh, it's okay. It was just so funny. I thought, what was so funny? I'm trying to be so spiritual here. And so I think somebody else ended up praying. I think I was doing it for the right motive and uh, maybe I'd been taught some things about prayer that maybe I shouldn't have, like I I don't have to try to be like the other people. But maybe I'll get a reward for that in heaven, even though my prayer was just dear God. (laughs) It's up to him. I don't know. But your loving Father sees what you do in the unattended privacy of your prayer time. And he will one day reward you for that openly. Now it's not just giving and it's not just prayer. Hypocrisy can touch everything. And so that's what we uh, wanted to take to heart. Let me uh, say these things and the applications are in your bulletin there except for uh, something to fill out. Number one, one of the things we take away from this is that the only approval of our spiritual life that matters is God's approval, that's it. That's the only approval that matters. When you stand before God on that day, you're going to say, "You know what? I wish I'd have taken it more seriously. That this is all that's going to matter." But if you do it right, you don't have to. You don't have to think that. And then uh, the other issue is number two: the question is it wise or prudent to work to impress people with? our, my, your spiritual life. Is that a wise thing to do? And the Bible's answer is no, it's not. Number three, if we pray or give for the approval of men, that will be the last you hear of it once you get their approval. And finally, this. Friends, God is, never not, God is not ever impressed with our hypocrisy. He rewards those who are genuinely all in for him. You know what? We all sin. We all make mistakes. We've all been hypocrites, I think. I don't think I've ever met somebody that's not, including myself. But the idea is, are we doing better? Are we trying harder? Are we asking Jesus to help us with that? That's going to be the issue that we face. i think. I think I'm going to use for our time around the Lord's table um, the passage in Mark 14, verse 22, if you want to follow with me. Mark 14:22. What we want to understand is that when we trusted Christ as our Savior, we entered into a covenant with him. We are in covenant with God. And Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, this is the blood of the covenant. When you drink this, this uh, grape juice, this fruit of the vine, which is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, you're agreeing that I am, in, I am in covenant with God. And a covenant means we need to keep it, and we need to be faithful to it. Well, here's what, how Mark records it. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it. And he gave it to them, and he said, take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And he means for the forgiveness of sins. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after he sang a hymn, they sang a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, this whole communion thing follows the Galilean marriage pattern where there's a cup given to the bride if she drinks it. They're in covenant. Then the man will go back to his father's house and work on building another story on his dad's roof because that's where he's going to live with his new wife. And there's a long period of time in the betrothal and then finally the dad will say to the son, get up and go get your bride. And he does that and brings her back to her, his father's house. And that's what Jesus is going to do. The supper we're looking forward to having with him, the one that we're thinking about here, is the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he comes to us and gets us as his bride, and then he takes us to the place he's prepared for us. And we take the communion remembering that we're in covenant and it means something to us. It means everything to us. It means I belong to God, we belong to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're family, and we're family with Jesus Christ. So that's some things I'd like you to think about. Now what we've been doing is, uh, Becky's going to play for a while and give you a chance to commune with God in your heart, take care of any business you have with him, or just thank him for what he's done for you, and then I'll have one of the uh, elders pray, and then we'll partake together of the bread. So let's have some time of prayer.